Welcome to episode three of The Bridge. I'm your host, Chris Morga, and today we have a tremendous guest in Carl Pauline. He's a productivity expert and someone who has taken his journey onto YouTube and gained over 100,000 subscribers, got his silver play button, and sells digital coursework on productivity management and has led a tremendous life. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with Carl. And don't forget to like and subscribe. And we are now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So enjoy this episode of The Bridge, and we'll talk soon. And I got to be honest, I'm a little bit of a fanboy. I'm really excited about today's guest. Uh, he started me on my productivity journey uh, about five years ago, I think, and I never looked back. So I appreciate you, Carl. Carl Pauline, he is the creator of the Time Sector System, as well as COD or Collect, Organize, and Do Time Management Systems, and has helped thousands of people around the world get better at managing their time and becoming more focused on what's important to them. So that resonates really well with me. Carl has written three books on productivity and time management with an exciting new one in production that we talked a little bit offline on, but he'll get into that. And that will revolutionize time management for the 21st century. And I'm excited for that. He also coaches companies and individuals around the world through his one-to-one -one and online course programs. I'm so excited. Carl, thank you so much for being on the show today. No, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, you know, I got to be honest, and I'll let the listeners know, I took a shot. You know, I, I'm <laughs> new at this, and I said, you know what? I followed Carl for so many years. Let me just send him an email and see if maybe he'd want to come on and be a guest and share some of his knowledge for a lot of the audience on the Broken Mold podcast. And when you replied back, I got to be honest, I was like a 12-year-old boy. I went was running around the house. Carl said, yeah, he's going to be on the show. My wife was like, oh, you're such a dork. <laughs> but man, thank you so much. You know, nice. I'm, I'm looking at your background here. And, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. That's where most of my clientele and a lot of my connections have grown over the years. And I saw that you and I have a little bit of a similarity. So you were a sales associate many years ago in a car dealership. Is that oh, right? Oh yeah, that was that was a that was a joy. <laughs> you know, the funny story behind that is I did hotel management when I I did high school, and then I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And there was this four star hotel just maybe four hundred five hundred yards down the road, and the the general manager uh, knew my my parents and he suggested well why don't you come and try the management hotel management training program so that's where i actually started hotel management but then i wanted a new car and i obviously hotel you know you, you, get, you don't get a big salary working as a trainee manager in a hotel so i thought well how can i get a new car and i thought wait a minute maybe maybe working car sales that they, they give you cars to drive you know as a car salesperson so i applied and yeah, I, I got a job as a new car sales person for Vauxhall Motors, which is uh, would was back then an offshoot of General Motors. Um, yeah, and um, that's where I, oh, I got my new car. <laughs> so that's incredible because it was cause it's one of the same things for me. Yeah. But that was, I mean, that was that was a big eye opener for me. I mean, looking back now, I realized well that was great because I learned about sales. Um, you know, had I been in hotel management, I would have only learned about standards, which, which is one of the valuable lessons I learned in hotel management. But 
yeah, car sales. And I, so now I just realized that my twenties were just a fantastic, absolutely amazing journey. Although at the time I probably thought, what the hell am I doing with my life? But now I realize looking as we back, do. yeah, looking back, I can, <laughs> yeah, it's the Steve Jobs thing, isn't it? It's connecting the dots mm -hmm. only when looking backwards, you can't do it looking forwards. That's absolutely right. Hmm. Yeah, I was very similar to the same when I came out of the Navy, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was hmm. like, I, I need a job. Hmm. And a buddy of mine was working at a, a car dealership and said, why don't you come in and, and sell cars? It'll be great. 12 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I spent four it, years. It really was. Yeah, four years. It was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I learned so much. Um, it was yeah. just a brilliant, brilliant time. And it's interesting you said because that's where you learned the the art of sales and I think that from a skills perspective mm. that people have in their careers as they're they're moving on to learn how to market or sell anything especially when it's tied to your own career strengths or your mm. own hard skills mm. is so important especially since you know we look at what career and work has been over millions of years or, or mm -hmm. thousands of years, mm -hmm. selling and trade has always been at the core of it. it you know, you go down to the fish markets or anything, it's mm -hmm. always been at the core of it. So I love that, 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 that kind of spawned as a hard skill for you to learn how to sell something. And it ultimately brought you into where you are today in learning oh, how is. to sell I mean, your courses. Yeah, I mean, the great thing is I was so lucky that I had a fantastic sales manager, um, David Cox, and actually, about three months ago, because of the book I'm writing at the moment, I actually got in touch with him because he and my general manager, Andrew, at the time, uh, they taught me so much about time management back then because hotel management was pretty, uh, you just, it, it was pretty standard stuff. But suddenly in car sales, I had people to follow up. I had, to, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, I'm going to make a, oh, there's somebody walking in the showroom. It was like a completely different environment. Uh, and they taught me a lot about sales management. And about three months ago, I, I, I managed to get in touch with David, who was my original sales manager. We hadn't spoken for 30 years. And we had a real chat about, you know, and I was just so grateful that the stuff that he taught me, but it actually shows because now he's running his own business. He's got 16 car dealerships. I think 16 car dealerships and three motorcycle dealerships in the north of England now. And, you know, wow. when we were together, he was what, late 20s, early 30s. Um, I was in my early 20s, and uh, it just goes to show that, I mean, David was really focused. I mean, he was brilliant at sales. sales. Good for him. 16 oh, yeah. dealerships 16 and three dealerships motorbike dealerships. And three motorbike, yeah. I mean, he's, he's doing, doing well. Oh, he's doing very well, yes. <laughs> the one, weird thing is That's he now incredible. hires Andrew, who was his general manager. He now hires Andrew. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Um that must so, be a weird type of thing. I've never had that in my, my career where I've hired someone that was my mentor. It must be a very weird process to it go through. It probably is. But then having said that, it was somebody that both David and I, we trusted him because I mean, we know how good he is. And when David, you yeah. know, I know that if David needed somebody to take over a dealership that wasn't performing as it should do, you get Andrew in there. You know, he'll sort it out. Um, and yeah, I'm and that's, that's, that's the reason key. why he did that. That's key too, because, yeah. you know, as we grow in our careers, we start to realize that we're not the masters of everything. No. And a lot of times you do have to, to let go of control and delegate some of the skills that you don't necessarily know to mastery level to mm. someone else. And I, I, I love that. Mm. You know, 
One of the other things, can you kind of walk me through how the dealership or working at the dealership kind of morphed into, because, you know, if I'm, again, I have your LinkedIn up, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So as I'm going through your career progression, it seems like you had gone through a shift that I'm just guessing here, but at some point you realized I want to do this for myself or I want to build something for myself or take a nonlinear career path. Can you walk me through exactly how that transpired or what kind of clicked in your mind to where you said, I'm better off on my own and I can do this on my own? Well, I did. Before that happened, uh, while I was selling cars, actually, my, my father, who, who had a farm, he, went, um, he was declared bankrupt. Now, all this happened under the radar. I mean, he's not, you know, he's brilliant with animals, but talk about business. He's not, he's not the smartest, you know, uh, in the world. But when it comes to animals, you know, this, you know, my father, if the horse is giving birth to a foal, you know, he'll wake up an hour before it's due. And I'm thinking, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> but he knows he's just got that instinct. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, he went bankrupt. I think he was probably around about 92, something like that. And um you know he's he's not he doesn't know about he's not interested in business he's not interested in the legal situation he's just getting all these letters and saying this is happening and this is happening but i could see it was stressing him out and i thought no i need to take control of this so i started reading through the letters i in my local pub i started talking to lawyers who were who were drinking in the local pub and one guy actually said look he says this is actually quite serious you need to get a proper lawyer involved um, I can help you initially, but it's going to have to be handed over to somebody more important. And I, th I was watching these guys, and I think it was Leslie who was his name. He was only two years away from retirement. I thought, wow, what a wonderful life, being able to help people. I didn't see the corporate lawyer side making millions and millions of dollars. I was seeing the, the little lawyers who were helping people who were in serious difficulty. And that's what really inspired me. I thought, right, I'm going to university. I'm going to learn law. So I went to university, did law. Um, and then I, I woke up to like that sudden realization that, okay, I've just made a big mistake. But it wasn't the fact that I'd made a big mistake spending six years studying law. The mistake I'd made was all my previous jobs had been running around in a hotel as a trainee manager, because you don't sit behind a desk, you run around the hotel all day, and running around a car showroom and forecourt. Yeah, I'd never really had a nine till five sitting at a desk, but that's really what a lawyer's job was, certainly was back in the late 1990s. And after about six months, I thought, I can't do this for six months. I, I feel like a prisoner. You know, eight hours a day, I have to be behind this desk and I'm only allowed out to, for one hour to get lunch. And back then I smoked, so it was okay. I could go out and have a cigarette every day think every two hours I think it was I was allowed to go get a coffee and go outside and have a cigarette I think I remember that but you know and I was thinking do I want this for the rest of my life and I thought no 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 no. and that's when I actually took a time out and okay I'm I think I was 30 years old and I thought this is not the life for me what can I do because I need to earn money I'm, I'm now I'm not dependent on my parents anymore so I thought okay let's go and what can I do I've got a degree so maybe I can go and do something abroad. And I, sure enough, I found you could teach English. So the choice was between China, Japan, and Korea. And the, the thing that swung it for me was beer in Korea was the equivalent of one pound a pint, which was probably, what, one, $1.50? Uh, and back then yeah. in the UK, it was three times that. So I thought, I'm going to Korea. Oh, and cigarettes, because I still smoked back then. Um, cigarettes were only a pound a 
packet as well, which I thought, oh, this is because back in the UK, it was, I would say, eight or nine dollars a packet. So I'm going, I'm going to Korea. <laughs> so <laughs> and suddenly that's when I discovered, oh, I like teaching. I was still working for a company, but that was the transformation for me. It's that decision to leave what could have been a really good career financially and stability wise which I think is probably where I had the fear. I don't like conformity. In the, I don't like following blueprints, if you like. Uh, so coming to Korea as a 30-year-old, when everyone say, no, you should be getting married and getting a mortgage and having babies and, and you know, settling down into a career. And I'm, I, I think I was having a, maybe it was the fear of that, that I said, no, 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 I'm going to Korea for a year. Well, you know, 23, 21 years later, I'm still in Korea. <laughs> so, so i could call it i ran away from That's my irony. responsibilities yeah I, maybe <laughs> but i think the most important thing was is that it was career i would say that really opened my eyes to the possibilities that that's interesting too because it, you know i'll you know i'll uh join in with you but i i had smoked too and i remember I remember a time where five bucks got you a pack of cigarettes and a full tank of gas. Wow. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that was, that was pretty much the norm. And you would go to work and you know you had your cigarettes, same type of thing. Two hours, I'd, I'd have my coffee, I'd go downstairs and have a cigarette, and you're starting to contemplate the meaning of life <laughs> while you're sitting out there. You're watching. And I worked uh, in New York for a large part of my career. So watching all of the people go by and and wondering, well, what's their life like? They look at, you know, and I would notice the the people's faces. Who looked very happy and content? Who looked like they couldn't stand it and they just wanted to get back home? You know, and you start to realize, mm. do, do I want to be that person? Mm. Or do I want to be that person that it's 1130 and they look so happy-go-lucky walking down the street because they're in command or control of their own lives? And I think that tie-in where you mentioned you weren't really good with conformity. No. And I can so relate to that, too, because I kept thinking, even at a young age, I'm padding so many other people's pockets and I know my talents. I know what I do well, mm. but everyone else is benefiting off of that where I'm still stuck in a one bedroom apartment. And, you know, not that I wanted to have the white picket fence and the career ladder that has been you know, brought up in the 50s, mm. that that's what career looked like. Mm. But I wanted to have the choice. Mm. So that kind of started me opening up into the ideas of what's an alternative career look like mm. or, or what are these methodologies around it? You know, I, I'd like to kind of jump ahead a little bit mm. because I know you just got your silver play button. Congratulations. Oh, that yes. must have been awesome. Yeah. That, but then, <laughs> that but then you know, that, that, is, that can also be – it's a good thing, but it's also a curse because you think, right, I've done it because I remember – four or five years ago saying the goal is to get to a hundred thousand subscribers because I didn't think it was possible. And then it happened. And then you think, okay, so all right, what next? Um, and so mm -hmm. I thought, well, according to YouTube, the next milestone is a million. Well, that means I'm actually only 10% of the way there. Yeah. I'm only 10% <laughs> of the way there. So I've had to, I got the button in February. So it's taken me, five months to kind of think about well where do I really want to go with it I thought oh what the hell let's go for it let's go for a million but what do I need to do to get a million 
Um, and that means, well, I have to break to it down. Yeah, I have yeah. to change things. I have to change the way I've been doing videos previously to make them a little bit more entertaining. Um, and also that makes it more interesting for me because I'm now learning a different style of editing, which is great. Um, which means mm -hmm. now my proficiency in Adobe Premiere, Premiere Pro is going to get even better. So, so yeah. And there's, there's so much around that too. We, I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube. I spend a lot of time on YouTube watching other people that are in the creator space and looking for ideas. There's a very heavy emphasis on production value now mm. where a couple of years ago during the pandemic, <clears throat> excuse me, people were just, you know, getting the information and the content out to showcase the value to their potential subscribers. Yeah. Right. But now you've got people like Peter McKinnon, um, Chris from Daily Tech, that the production value is really jumping up. And I noticed in your videos, too, that you've added B-roll content. Yeah, well, that's, that was so, one of the changes that I'm, I've made in the last, well, since the beginning of July, really. That's when I decided, okay, from the beginning of July, this is where it's going to change. And let's see what happens. And... Um, it's also quite funny. It's cool. Yeah. Well, what I'm looking at is like I need to create a signature. One of my favorites is uh, Casey Neistat. I mean, I followed him for a long time. I just love the way he tells stories. I was thinking, oh, I, you know, initially when I first started watching Casey Neistat, I thought, well, he he tells stories. He's vlogging. I mean, I do time management mm -hmm. and productivity. There's no story there. But in that five months that I since February when I got the silver button, I've been thinking, wait a minute, there is a story. And there's always a story behind time management productivity because there's, you know, there's there's the issue, and then there's the, you know, how does that, you know, impact people's lives, and where's the solution? Well, all that can be created into a story. So that's kind of where all the ideas for 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 the change up on the channel, um, and going forward, I know I'm going to learn so much more about Premiere Pro and and probably push myself as well creatively to think of how can I illustrate this point in a humorous way as well? Because one of the things I have in my little notes now is where's the humor? So I just want one scene where there's a little bit of humor to make people smile. And you definitely have achieved that. I mean, <laughs> a couple of the videos that I was watching where I saw you sitting at your computer and throw your hands up in the air because you were trying to get a point across. And I, I totally resonated with that. And it, it did. Mm. It made me smile mm. because there's a lot of times where I'm trying to learn Final Cut Pro. Mm. And then, you know, when Apple threw it onto the iPad, I was like, okay, this is a whole different thing now. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole different animal. Mm. Um, and I've done that myself, is thrown my hand up in, you know, up in the air and go, I, this is ridiculous. How do, how do I do this? Mm. But, you know, is that a new learned skill for you? Do you feel like from since February, now that you've transitioned your mind to, okay, I want to add these little story elements, a little bit more of the production value. Is that another skill that you're trying to add to the bag now? I think so, because long-term career-wise, I would love to be able to stand on stage and, and talk, uh, make, I suppose, really make time management and productivity a bit more sexy. But you can't do that just telling people about calendars, to-do lists, and um, notes apps. You're going to have to bring in story into it and make it exciting. Yeah, and so I think the 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 idea for me is storytelling. Ultimately, I would like I I will hand off the editing to a a third person. Uh, I want to learn enough for the next three or four months myself, so I'm not going to hand it over immediately. But 
I'm planning on handing over to a full-time video editor and just let them, I'll just send them the raw footage, tell them they, they can see from the videos, the story I want to tell, and then they can, we'll create a style together. Um, yeah. Cause you know, that ties back to what we were talking about, about delegating, yeah. you know, we're not the masters of everything. And sometimes you do have to reach out to the people that are. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be like Peter McKinnon and, and, you know, be like the a master at Lightroom and, and, Premier, or mm -hmm. I think he's he's recently been going on to Da Vinci now or something, um, but you know yeah. that that's for those guys. And I think to master it, you need to spend a long time on that. So you know, I want to be I want to tell stories and and think of how we can make things a bit easier in the world when it comes. We've got to work and our personal lives, and how do we mix them together so that we're focused on the things that we enjoy and are important to us. You know, me spending hours on yep. Premier Premier Pro is not going to do that. Yeah, that does. It's not something that brings you joy, too. I, well, you I know, enjoy it. it. I'm not, not to be honest. I do enjoy it, but it's not going to get me where I really want to go. I mean, I don't want to yeah, become a exactly. video editor, but I'd like to know right. how to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we all would too, and that you know it ties back to being productive too, because when you're spending a lot of time video editing and you have a goal, I think your, your call line or your tagline in the beginning, it might still be the same, was to help 1 million people be more productive in their own lives or something very similar to that, right? <laughs> and for yourself, you know, being productive and trying to convey that message to other people so mm. you can help them out by spending three, four, five hours on Lightroom while it does bring you enjoyment, it's not helping you to get that no, message. No, it won't help me to get right? that message. No, you're right. And uh, yeah. But it's something that I, I mean, I like, I, I mean, I do play with Lightroom occasionally, but, but you know, yeah. the Adobe product I'm with pretty much every day is Photoshop and, uh, and Premiere Pro. Those are the two that I spend most of my time in. And I've mastered them to a level that means I can get my content out quickly. Yeah. And that's the key, yeah. right? Because you want to keep that churning. Yeah. And, you know, I I've, myself am just getting into Photoshop because I spent a lot of time on Affinity mm. and I loved it because I'm trying to be an iPad first, uh, running the business fully on iPad, mm. not able to get there yet. I think it's on its way. It's getting closer, oh, yeah. but, you know, I'm still tied to the Mac mm. where it's just the truck. Yeah. You know, it gets everything it done does. no matter what you throw at yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> Carl, can you do me a favor? Could you kind of explain, and I think this is important to a lot of the audience, um, can you explain the difference between being productive and being busy? Because I think there's a, there, a there misnomer is, yes. that I people mean, understand. Busy is really, it's just running around with no plan at all. I mean, we can all be busy very quickly. If you have no plan, you have no idea what really, you know, what you need to get done you're going to end up doing what everybody else wants you to do. And I can guarantee you will be busy um, because people are more than happy to hand off stuff to you if you're willing to take it. And, you know, if you don't have a plan, you're not going to sit at your desk going, mm, what do I do now? Um, so you, you make yourself busy. You go in checking email all the time and your, you know, your Slack messages or Teams messages. And, you know, somebody says, oh, do you have a minute? Yes, I have a minute. You know, you you know, that, that's going to make you busy and that's busy. But what, what are you actually accomplishing there? Maybe you're making other people happy, but are you making you happy? That would be the question I would ask. Whereas being productive is knowing what is important and what needs to get done and getting that done. 
And that to me is the, the difference. It's more about clarity. Busyness is like that, that very, you know, opaque window. You can't see out of it. It's just blur. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas being productive, you've got that clarity. You, you can crystal, like with crystal clarity, you can see exactly where you're going. You've got the path and you know how to get there because in your mind, you know, or on paper or whatever, you said, right, if I get these things done today, this will get me to this place. You won't get, you know, you won't get over the line on a, in a single day for most things, but it will get you that little bit closer. Yeah, one of the one of the tricks, you know, those yeah. those things that you hate doing. I hate admin. I hate doing accountancy. I've got to do it because I run a business. Um, what I do is now is I break it down. I'll get seventy percent of it done in one day, um, and then I, when I come, you know, get close to the deadline. It's like, oh, I've only got 30% to do. I, I'm a little bit more enthusiastic about it, thinking oh, I've only got 30% to do. Yeah, it makes it easier. Yeah. And it's the smaller chunks, because I think the biggest enemy, in, in my opinion, the biggest enemy of productivity is context switching. Yeah, I think it, it's so damaging for the brain to be jumping from one thing to the next. It doesn't help you in your, in your journey to be... No. more productive and for being productive is to produce something right? it is it is and <clears throat> but i would say I think produce something worthwhile switching. because it needs to be connected to what's important to you and he, and that i don't yeah. mean i mean people say well it's important to my boss well yes but why it needs to be important to you because if it's not important mm-hmm. to you you'll do it grudgingly you'll you won't do it well yeah. you'll hate it You've got to kind of find that link to what your boss is asking you to do to how's this going to, you know, help me in my career or I might get a bonus. You know, if I'm part of a team that's going to get a project done and we get a 10 percent bonus, um, hey, I'm, I'm all in for that. Even if it is a monetary thing, it doesn't have to be a career related or life changing thing, although. I suppose in my attitude now, and I didn't have this in my 20s. I wish I did, but I didn't have it in my 20s. Is Every job I've done from you know, being a bartender to cleaning bedrooms to you know, selling cars, to me now, I re- it's the, kind of the penny dropped. That was education. So, and the great right. thing about that was I got paid for it. You know, when I went to university, I had to pay for education. But when I got out of education and took those early jobs, that was them paying me to educate me. I thought, well, this is a win-win. So even on those oh, things, yeah. you know, oh, I don't really like learning this. Well, yeah, but I learned it and I learned I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And most people take that education and don't even realize the what they've built around it, you know, there's so many people I talk to and I kind of have to interview people for a living as a recruiter. Mm -hmm. Right. And I noticed that everyone has all the pieces around them that they've, they've just accumulated over the years of what they're going to do or what their strength is to lead them towards what their own version of success is, Mm -hmm. or or tied to their work Mm -hmm. in life Mm -hmm. or their purpose in life. Mm -hmm. Not many people, it takes a very, a very strong individual when it comes to clarity and self-awareness to understand how to put all those pieces together. Mm. But every single person that I've interviewed for a particular job going from an analyst all the way up to C-suite, as I'm talking to them and they're uncovering these little strengths that they've developed over time Mm. or the little knowledge nuggets that they've developed over time, I see the whole pie put together Mm. 
where they don't necessarily see that. So when I'm able to talk to someone or lead them through an interview to, well, why did this come into play in your past? Why did this come into play? And what's the goal around this? You start to see that. And for me, this is the most important part of all the work that I do is that that aha moment mm. when they start to realize, oh my goodness, I've been building exactly what I'm supposed to be doing very productively mm -hmm. for the last 10, 15 years, but they never were able to put it together. And for, you know, and as a career coach too, to, to get people to that aha moment, mm. that's so powerful because it can change your life. And going back to how I found you is that I knew that I was all over the place. Mm. I was switching from so many different things. And I said to myself, there's got to be a better way. So where do I go? The best free university out Absolutely. there, YouTube, YouTube. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I had found you, I put productive, uh, productive lifestyle, I think was the search term. Mm. And I found you in there and I said, okay, well, let me watch this. And I saw your COD system or collect, organize, do. And man, was that game changing. And I even kind of adopted, um, I think you call it the golden 10 at the end, mm -hmm. end of every day yeah. to plan. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I don't want to copy Carl. So I'll come up with something else. So I, I called mine the platinum 20. <laughs> right. So on my calendar, I put it as the platinum 20, mm -hmm. you know, um, but that was so powerful to me, the, the COD system, mm -hmm. because that changed my relationship. So very quickly, can you explain the COD system and how it kind of developed well, it, uh, it, into what it is today. The, the, where it developed was because when I looked around, because I've had the fascination with time management productivity since I was a teenager, but what I realized, all the books that I've read, I was thinking, this is way too complicated. Nobody's going to want to adopt this. And if they do adopt it, the, the time investment to get it to work is going to lead to a lot of dropout. So I thought, let's just boil down all these systems down to their very, very basic essence. What's important? What's really important? I thought, well, you've got to collect stuff. If you're not collecting stuff, then you have no system anyway, because you're just going to be, you know, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about this. You've got to collect the things that you're committing to. You've got to collect those tasks. You know, if you say to somebody, right, let's meet up on Friday for lunch at such and such a place. If you don't write it down and, you know, an emergency happens, Friday, you're going to get a phone call saying, where are you? You know, get it on your calendar, just get it collected. But after that, particularly not so much the events or calendar events, but like the tasks and the things that you're committing yourself to, you know, what are you going to do with all this stuff that you're collecting? Well, you need to organize it. You need to decide, well, what does it mean? Where does it need to go? What do I need to do? When am I going to do it? That sort of thing. And then once you've got it all organized, you've got to get on and do it. So this is where COD comes from, collect, organize, and do. Now. When I first started it, I just said, that was it. Collect, organize, and do. But then I found that most people are spending 75% of their time organizing. And I went, okay, I need to refine this. I said, that's not the purpose here. Guilty. Yeah. The purpose here <laughs> is minimize that organization time. Get really efficient at organizing so that you can spend 90 to 95% of your time doing the stuff that you've organized and collected. And that's where it really all came back from. That really is the essence. It's the simplicity of that whole thing. And most people cannot build their own systems just from that foundation of collecting, organizing, and doing. Now, you can go oh, much yeah. more complicated, if you wish, above that. Um, and I do myself. I, I, I went, okay, where's the next level here? I've got all this stuff organized. What's, 
how do I, when do I do all this stuff? And I, ah, ha, ha, ha. when I used the word when, I went, when, ah, ha, ha, ha. that's it. It's time because time is fixed. That's the one part of the equation that none of us can change. So we get mm -hmm. those 24 hours a day. We've got the, you know, the, the importance of sleep. How much sleep are you going to get? Because if you don't get enough of that, productivity is going to sink. Um, but after that, that, let's say you have seven hours, so that gives you, that's going to give you uh, 17 hours a day. Um, what are you going to do with that time? Well, I've got to eat, yeah, I've got to take showers and all that stuff and spend time with my family. What's left? Now, that then depends on whether you're a business owner or entrepreneur, because, you know, the nine till five thing goes out the window. Once you make that commitment, I'm starting my own business. Well, nine till five doesn't happen anymore. Um, but you know, I realized, well, really all I need to know is what do I need to do this week, which is where the time sector system for me came from. And that was my revelation there. I went, oh God, yeah. Now I don't have to worry. If I make a decision that I don't need to do something this week, I can forget about it, but I do need it to be organized somewhere that I can come back to next week and say, do I need to do this now? And if I do, I can then move it into my this week folder and say, right, that's something that needs to be done this week. So, but COD is that, you know, from there you can build any kind of system as long as you've got the solid foundation yeah. of collecting, organizing, and doing. And that's, you know, you said it, you hit the nail on the head too, is you're supposed to spend 90% of doing and doing to move the needle, right? Because the doing part of it has to be connected to your clarity and what your goal sets are. Mm. Otherwise, you're just doing for doing's sake. Yeah. And, you know, that's, again, that goes back to, that's not productive. Mm. And, uh, you know, the email management, one of the things that drives me nuts, and I see it on my, my son and my wife's phone all the time, is on the mail app, you see 3,437 <laughs> on the emails. Yeah, yeah. That drives me nuts mm. because I can't live that way. I mean, I check my email twice, maybe three times a day, mm. and I process it a lot of the way that you teach in your courses. Mm. You know, and I ask myself, I'll go through the email and I ask myself, what is it and what do I need to do? Mm. If I can't answer those questions, then I'll, like I took from your system, I put in the waiting for mm. because I need to process it or the, the action today. Mm. And I love that system that you've created because of its simplicity. Mm. And it's not overly done. Now, you know, I read Getting Things Done and I loved it. I absolutely mm. loved it. But as, the same thing that you said, as I was reading through it, I was going, wow, there's an X amount of hours to set this up mm. before you can even start putting it into action. Mm. Um, I also read, uh, a, I read Tiago Forte's book on building a second brain. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is nice, you know, using the technology that we have every single day as kind of a repository and then doing almost a very similar type of system that you've developed as well. Mm. But the, the thing I loved most about yours was it was very simple, mm. but yet powerful because when you do it, what is it? 26 days to form a habit. I think that's what it is, it, right? It, yeah. It's um, roughly that. I mean, I think Robin Sharma says it's 66, um, 66. 66. I mean, I, I, I mean, to me, a habit, yeah. Habit forming is like saying, okay, I've got to start doing this from tomorrow. And I have, my system really is to put it into a task manager, you know, reminding me to do something every day. And the moment I don't need to use that, you know, and I'm just checking it off at the end of the night because I know I've already done it, I can remove it because I, it's already a habit. 
And it varies. Yeah. It depends on what I'm trying to turn into a habit. What type, what, yeah, what you're trying to create that habit yeah. out of. When I started doing that, because I put it in my, my calendar, 26 days, or I count down on the days. And when I hit that day, it was a switch in my mind. Mm. You know, and not everybody's mind works the no, same no. way. But in my mind, it turned on to where I was doing this every single day. I was using a lot of the methodologies within your coursework mm. that would drive what I was doing and where I was going to. Mm. And man, it was game changing. Mm. And it's so powerful. And, for, you know, for the people that I work with that are focused on the linear career path and not necessarily have even thought about where does their nonlinear career path start. Mm. It, I've, I've seen that when they adopt something that's so simple in nature, but yet the outcome is so powerful. Again, that aha moment comes through and I'm like, there you got, it. you could see the light bulb mm. come on and just this excitement mm. come out of them because they're, it's almost like they figured out the meaning of life. They're like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I got it. Yeah. I can change everything now. Yeah. You know, it's a superpower. Mm. And, you know, it, it, I don't know, it's so profound to me and I love it. Um, I want to ask you one question that's kind of more for me than to <laughs> okay. anybody else. Um, what was it like meeting David Allen? Oh, that he's, he's, so he's cool. a fantastic guy. Um, I was, um, I mean, I, 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 he posted a picture from Seoul on his Instagram. <laughs> He's in Seoul. <laughs> so I just put a message and I wasn't expecting a reply. I said, are you in Seoul? Do you have an event? You took Question a shot. Mark. Yeah, I just took a shot. And, uh, you know, within a few hours, it was like, yes, I'm in Seoul. Um, you know, contact me. You know, this is my, I think, oh, he DM'd me. That was it. Because contact me. This is my email address. I'll tell you where we're meeting. And so I emailed him. He sent back and I met him that, I think it was the next day uh, at the event. And... Um, I said, uh, you know, would you have time for lunch tomorrow or coffee? I said, oh, well, I'm, I've got a flight late, late tomorrow afternoon. So, yeah, I can do lunch. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and that, my wife is Korean. Wow. So I, go, I said, we need, we need a good restaurant. We need a good <laughs> near this hotel. <laughs> so she, my poor wife had to find a good restaurant near that hotel and, and everything. But no, he is an absolutely smashing guy. And one of the amazing things was, you know, sometimes when you hear about people, they have these practices that they do and they've written books about it. You think, well, do they really follow it? And I had a little test in mind for this. And I said, um, do you still carry that uh, note taker wallet? And he's, you know, he pulls it out. I said, sure. And there enough, the pen. And he'd already, he's got three or four notes that he's wow. on it. And he's going, wow, this is a guy who's living that system. But funny enough, what I noticed was, because he posted a video about a year, maybe 10 months ago, saying this is how you deal with paper or this is I think this is how you get stuff into your inbox and I noticed on his desk this is from 10 months ago he's still got in baskets and a little notepad I guess it must be on the right hand side of his desk and the and the in the, the paper trays are on his left hand side of his desk I remember watching a video of his from probably about 12 to 15 years ago when he was still living in the US because he lives in Amsterdam now but when he was still living in the US um, exactly the same setup on his desk. And I thought, yeah, you know, wow. this is it. It's never about the tools. It's always about the, the system you put in place. And I was thinking, well, if you've been doing something like that for 12 years, you know, your pen and paper is always on the same side of the desk. Your in-basket is still on the same side of the desk. He doesn't even have to think. 
you know, takes a phone call, has an idea, boom, into the in basket. I, and, you know, to me, I just thought that's the secret to productivity is develop those mm-hmm. processes and systems so that you don't even have to think about it. You just do it automatically. But yeah, going and there's through, that forming the habit. Yeah, that's forming the habit. But to me, I mean, he was, he's, he's a, such a nice guy. And he was on my podcast uh, about three years ago as well. Um, and again, just reaching out emails said, yep, no problem. He, you know, he's, he's always, you know, he's, you know, reach out to him. <laughs> he will, he's more than just say, yes, I'll be on your podcast. <laughs> oh, that would be, yeah. that, you know, I mean, that would be a dream. I mean, he's, I've read that book so many times. Yeah. I mean, he's done, I mean, <laughs> I he's, I had the, he's had the unconventional <laughs> life as well. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. I mean, he admits himself, he's the laziest guy in the world. I don't think he is, but that's what he says he is. Um, but, you know, when you look at his work history, it's not been standard. It's not been the blueprint work life. I mean, it started out that yeah. way, but it never, it didn't end up that way. Yeah, and that's what fascinates me the most about people that have decided to take a different journey mm. is what was that moment? Mm. What did that look like? What did that feel like? Because if it's anything like myself, you know, when you decide to make that shift, the first feeling that I ever remember was fear mm. because you're supposed to play in this sandbox. That's what we were taught as children mm. is there's a certain sandbox you play in to earn your money, to fuel your lifestyle. And when you deviate from that, Oh my goodness! It's it's that uncomfortability, mm. and you just become fearful. But you know, I, once I you start doing have, it, I have a test. You know? I have a test now because way back when I made the decision, I'm coming to Korea and I'm quitting being a lawyer and I'm going to come to Korea and teach English. Everybody was telling me, "Oh, you you why? You must have gone mad. You're crazy. Are you drunk? You know, I I had it all." He said, well, "Why would you throw away a career like that?" You know, so when now when anyone ever tells to me, when I have an idea and they say, "Why would you do that? That's crazy." I know it's a good idea and I must do it. It's really yeah, so. That's what it is. That's when someone that, tells you that it's nuts, yeah. Now that that means I'm on the right path. If people say, oh, that's a really good idea, I'm, I'm going to stop and go, wait a minute, this isn't a good idea. And I have to go back and rethink it. But I've learned that lesson now, you know, like when I, I remember when, because I worked for a language institute for eight years, I had a pretty good career developing in Korea. And I thought, no, I'm going to go and teach privately now. I'm going to start my own business and teach privately. And again, people saying, why would you do that? You've got, you, you've got the safety of the, of the, the institute. You know, they pay for your housing. They, they pay, you know, they get a good salary now because you, you've been teaching for such a long time. I said, no, 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 I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to get my own house. I don't mind paying that. And I'm going to start off on my own. And I, I knew because there were so many people saying, why would you do that? It's not a good idea. I thought it's a good idea. <laughs> so I did it. Yeah. And that kind of ties back to what you were saying earlier when you said that, uh, you know, you're not big into conformity. Mm. And <laughs> as does, you're saying yeah. that, yeah, as you're saying that, I'm like, wow. So that's something that, if someone says that this is a social norm or socially accepted, you're like, no, nah, that's not really the way I want to go. No. So, <laughs> so I love that yeah. test because it ties into your essence yeah. and who you are to go, oh, like, well, maybe I need to go on a different path because it feels better to me. And that's what it's all about. It's, it's you know, about it, an exploration. I mean, I, yeah. I think I, I, you know, I've always... I always think of like, I, I remember this one, I think it's from Seven Habits, um, <clears throat> you know, the, Stephen Covey's book. And I was thinking about, I think there's a section in there where he talks about, imagine that you're at your own funeral and people are giving a eulogy, you know, on your life. And I think that resonated with me. 
And I was thinking, well, if I follow like the corporate lifestyle, if I follow the blueprint and don't follow what I really want to do, I'm going to lead a pretty boring life. Um, mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe that's not what I want. And I think that's because um, I read that book when I was about 18 or 19. So I think it, it probably resonated. But looking back, you know, I went to a school where if you wanted to be the in crowd, you played rugby in the winter and you played cricket in the summer. And I was average at those games. I could hold my own, but I was never going to be in the first team. And so I thought, do I really want to be average? I thought, well, what's the one sport that everybody hates? I thought, well, in the winter, that's definitely cross country. Nobody likes cross country running. I'm going to do that. <laughs> and sure enough, I, I, you know, I, I was actually the school captain of cross country three years in a row. Nobody's ever beaten that. I, I went back to my school a few years ago, and my name is still on the board three years in a row. I think people look at that now saying, that is one crazy dude. <laughs> but then I also, in the summer, I thought, well, let's do track and field. Now, everybody wants to do sprints because it's only 100 or 200 meters. And I thought, nobody wants to do 800 or 1500. I'll do that. <laughs> so, and again, I was, you know, school captain two years in a row. I don't think anyone's done that, or maybe that's been matched. Uh, and I actually represented my county at 1500 meters. And I think that taught me then that, you know, if you go into the crowded field, you know, unless you're particularly talented, and there's only like, I think 0.2% might be, you're only, best you're ever going to be is average. And I don't really like that idea. But if I go into something where there's a, you know, a, a very small field, I have a chance of being the number one. I mean, I might not be the number one. I mean, I never broke the world record 1500 meters. I never won the English cross country championship. But at least in, for me, I was able to get closer to the top than I would have done at rugby or cricket. I loved it because what I'm hearing, and this is my career coach thing going on, but I love that you have such a deep-rooted curiosity of what happens when you do go against the grain. Mm. And it, almost everything that you've brought up, it, you've, you have that curiosity of what's on the other side. Everybody else took this path. Mm. What happens on the other side or the, the other path? Mm. I love that because you know, I think that's what drives human beings in everything that they do is that curiosity. And your curiosity, not necessarily following a social norm, mm -hmm. but wondering what happens when you take a different pathway. I mean, I don't know if it has, but that sounds to me like it's a large part of your success is I think wondering what happens. I th well, I think ex that experience in school taught me that there's always a, an alternative and it's not as scary as you think. Now, I, I've, I've been living in Korea for 20 years and the goal for most high school students is to get into a Sky University. That's Seoul, Korea, Yonsei University, the three top universities here. Mm -hmm. I looked at the statistics on this and it's not point. I think it's 0.02% of the high school kids will get a place at one of those universities. Yet every parent will spend all their money trying to get their kids to the best, you know, best off-school institutes to, to get into these universities. And yet the percentage is only 0.02% will ever do it. And now if I was a parent with the kids in school in Korea, I'd say, you are not going there. We're going to look for an alternative. Let's find something that's different where you can excel at. Because, you know, why, why fight when the percentages are so low? 
why not? I mean, I remember I had a university student in one of my English classes. It was the university student. This was just this just blew me away. Went around the room saying, "What, uh, what, uh, what are you studying at university?" It's like computer science, uh, business management, blah blah blah. Got to this girl and she said, "Bulgarian." And I went, <laughs> "Bulgarian?" I said, "Why?" <laughs> I said, "Well, my father's works for Hyundai and he's uh, over in Bulgaria." And she said. Um, she says, there's only 15 people in Korea who can speak Bulgarian. And I just went, she's got it. She's got it. If there's only 15 people in she's Korea. She's a genius. <laughs> I know. I mean, there's no competition. And it turned out that the big companies here, Hyundai, uh, Hyundai Samsung, and LG, um, all three of those companies had offered her a job by the time she was a second-year student of a three, I think it was a three-year course. And the salary she was offered was like three times higher than these other guys who were, hadn't even got a job and, and probably wouldn't get a job. I thought, yeah, she's, that girl's got it. She's going to make it because she's figured out, don't play the percentages because yeah. you won't win. I mean, the chance, I mean, some do, of course, but the chances are you've got a hell of a battle on your, pla on your plate when actually there's likely to be an easier and much more enjoyable way. And she loved it. I mean, I'm, I don't know what she's doing now, but I, I know for one thing, she will have spent some time of her life in Bulgaria working for one of these big companies. I love stories like yeah. that. I really love stories like that. So um, I appreciate it. Those kind of stories makes, helps me to realize that what I do is like saying, okay, everyone's going that way. I'm going to go this way because I know there's a better chance of success. Yeah. Increase the odds. Yeah. Why not? You play the numbers. Yeah. Carl, can you can you kind of help some of the audience, you know, that are teetering on starting something of their own or deciding to walk away from the nine to five? Could you offer some of the best advice that you've been told or something that you could share with them to motivate them to actually do it? Well, and, uh, yeah, the, you know, take control? I mean, for me, there's two there's two ways of doing it. You can just say, OK, I'm done with this quit and just try and start your own business that's again percentage wise it's not a good option i don't think uh right. the one that i found has always worked is to start moving towards the career or the path that you want to take in your spare time it's very much like gary vaynerchuk has always said you know like what are you doing between 7 p.m and 1 a.m i don't think you need to be that extreme um but I, That's us New Jersey guys. Yeah, but, but I do think you need to be thinking that way because if you're willing to do a day's work in your office job that's dragging you down and leaving exhausted and you come home and you've got the energy and excitement to actually sit down and work on building your business, you're going to make it because that passion is there. And that's what really drives it forward is that passion. And you know, once you start your own business, I, I think, it, I mean, you can go off in any direction. I mean, it, it is an amazing, I mean, yeah, sure. You, you, you become the HR director, you become the finance director, you're the CEO, the chair, you are everything initially. Mm -hmm. But again, we go back to that. Well, this is part of the education. You need to learn that. So it's hell for the first, you know, you've got a lot of hours work initially, but the payoff is because you develop processes and it gets easier and it just becomes automatic. Um, but I think you, you don't just quitting everything and saying, I'm starting my own business tomorrow. That, that 
I still think that's a dangerous way unless you are absolutely yeah. sure that your business idea and business model is going to succeed. And I don't know many people who do that. It's just, again, on the percentages, it's not probably the best way forward. The best way is to start doing it gradually. Um, the other thing I would say mm -hmm. is stop wasting time on logos and company names. Um, because I've seen, I've seen people saying, I can't start my business until I've got a logo and a company name. No, that's just procrastination. Um, you know, my company's mm -hmm. logo has changed so many times over the last seven years because it was one of the last things I did. Although I did get the website going pretty early because that was how I could get all, everything into one central place. Um, but no, I needed to develop the products first. Because no product, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you've got the... a nice shiny logo and company name, uh, get a product first. Exactly. Whether it's a service or a product, just get that first. Yeah, start yeah. there. Start at the, the end. You know, <laughs> that one was was interesting to me too because it, it was very easy for a logo for, for my company when I started in 2014. I didn't find that to be the hard part. I didn't find the name to be the hard part. What I found was the consistency to be the hard part because I was, you know, I had two children at the time, very young children. I had my wife, we had the bills and I wanted to do that. I wanted to just quit what I was doing. I was in le in the legal field at the time. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And I wanted to just quit and then replace nine to five with building the business. And I realized I can't do that. I'm not in a position to do that because my family is looking to me to, you know, provide for them. But for the people that are, and I think that was perfectly said, the people that are considering it, just start at something, whatever your your product or your service is. And I want to tie back to what you said too about a website. You know, that's our storefront. I mean, brick and mortar will be there in some capacity, but these social media platforms can rise and fall. Get yourself an email list. Get yourself a storefront that you can still reach your customers at any point in time and still be able to keep that community growing of your customer base because that's most important i mean when i look at um, you know when so I that, look at that was field, actually perfect um you know when i started there was people like merlin mann and uh, david sparks uh who did the max sparky podcast still does do the max sparky mm -hmm. podcast i think merlin mann is still around i mean he's doing podcasts a lot <laughs> but these were the guys that i was following back in 2006 2007 it was all podcast it wasn't youtube back then but what I noticed what they were doing was that well, how they started was they just started blogging about an interest. They had an interest in time management, productivity, and the tools, because we were all talking about OmniFocus and, and stuff like that back then, and GTD. And they just blogged about it, about their experiences, and they got a lot of interest. And that told them that there's something here, that you know, there's an interest here that could be turned into a business model. And I, I realized that that to me has been like the secret for me with my productivity business was before I actually started the business, I spent a year writing a blog post every week on time management and productivity. Uh, I still write because I love writing and I still write that blog post, but those blog posts every week. But that first year and the way that it grew and the comments that I was getting told me, aha, there's a business model here. And that's what. So that was my data. I didn't need to go and spend lots of money, you know, commissioning, you know, various trying to pull data from various places. You know, all I needed was a blog or these days you could probably start a podcast. Either way, that would be my first step even today. If I wanted to start selling foreign cars here in Korea, for example, 
I would start a blogging career on, on foreign cars because that would tell me the level of interest. And also it gets my name yeah. associated with foreign cars in Korea, um, which means now that I've got a following and then I say, hey, guys, I'm opening a showroom. You know, it's not going to be one man and his dog who turns up. You know, all my readers are going to establish yeah, customer yeah. base. And, you know, if you're not comfortable after a year, carry on just writing that blog post. So, again, it goes back to establishing those habits and that process yeah. of writing. I love it. I mean, I, Monday mornings, yeah, I, I spend an hour writing my first draft. And right now, for me, the time is Sunday night. It's what getting on for probably close to 11. I have no idea what I'm going to write about yet. I probably won't know until. 9.01 tomorrow, nine, yeah, 9.01 tomorrow morning, but there will be something and I'll write about something. Hopefully you can draw some yeah. in inspiration yeah. from our talk together. <laughs> but that, that's what it really comes down to is, is that I just, I'm looking forward to the writing process tomorrow morning. And I started that back in 2015. So what is eight years now, eight years ago. Consistency. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I wouldn't yeah. stop. Perfect. I can't, I, you know, everybody I've talked to almost at least 90% of them started writing a blog or started this journey in writing. So that tells you that there, there's a lot of power in language in conveying, you know, conveying a message yeah. through writing. And it is fun. You're right. It is very freeing. You know, we talked earlier about day one and journaling and, you know, I've been doing it for, I think a little over two years mm -hmm. now. And I love it. I, I can't not start my morning with intentional journey. Uh, yeah, I, I have to do and it. setting yeah. up my day. I have to do. It. In fact, yeah. actually, before when I was it's setting so the studio up for this call, uh, over in the office, I put my iPad right in front as exactly how I like it for tomorrow morning. So I thought, okay, when this call finishes, all I need to do is brush my teeth and off to bed. My morning table is yeah. set up now. <laughs> Yeah, you're ready to go. That pre is, you know, and I learned mm. that in the Navy too, is I'm, I'm very big on planning and setting things mm. up for the next day or the next evening. You know, people make fun of me all the time because on Sunday night, I'm sitting in front, I'm usually watching American football or whatever during the season or golf, and I'm ironing my entire week's clothes. Oh, shirt, I've done pants, that. Everything. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and I've been doing that for 20 mm. years mm. now. And people are always like, what are you doing? Because I, I could have company over too. And, you know, we're all talking. I'll break out the ironing board and I'll start ironing and we're laughing and having a great time. And they're like, Chris, every <laughs> Sunday night you do that. And it's just, it's therapeutic oh, it for me. You know, I, I enjoy used to do that ironing. When you know? F1 was on back in the 1990s and I was preparing for the week ahead. So there was a race every two weekends then. I, it's, it's probably, it's about the same now. So I thought, ah, every, so I need 10 shirts. So I, I the, the race is two hours. And we had a, back in the 90s in the UK, we had a, a commentator called Murray Walker and his voice pitch would go very high when something exciting was happening. So I could just be ironing. And when he said, So you listen oh, to that. And I could just, <laughs> you know, it's, but it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, perfect time. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. Mm. Yeah, and prepping your, you know, prepping everything for the week. It always was great for me, especially when I was working in an office or had to travel to New York every day. You know, just being able to grab and go, that was game changing because I'd rather spend the hour and a half on the train thinking about what I have to do for the day or how am I going to attack a certain pitch that I have to do or a meeting. I didn't want to waste the time in the morning ironing a new outfit every single morning. So I would batch a lot of the things that I was doing and it helped me 
quite a bit. So I love that too. So Carl, what's next for Carl Pauline? Well, the big project this year is writing the book. Uh, the book that I, I, well, I know it will kind of revolutionize time management for the 21st century because a lot has changed since getting things done when that was written. I mean, that's based on David Allen's experiences in the 1980s and 1990s. He published the book in 2001. Um, but I realized there's no book since getting things done that has actually kind of revolutionized the, the productivity and time management system. And that's what I decided. That's what I want to write. And I'm very fortunate I got a publisher um, who's been guiding me. And so we, I'm not sure when publication is yet. We're still trying to decide. It's either going to be late October or <laughs> third week of January, which is quite precise, actually. But there we go. Um, but it's. Yeah, that was know, oddly specific. But, <laughs> yeah, publishers know the best time to publish books, so I'm I'm going with them. But uh, I, I'm loving again because it's writing. I'm loving that process. But he's a hard taskmaster, is my publisher. But um, all for the good because it's improving my writing. It goes back to oh, this is an education. I'm learning again, which is great. Um, and so that will be yeah, definitely coming out. That's my big project this year, and I'm really excited about it because. It's it's pretty much everything that I've learned over the last, well, probably certainly over the last 30 years, but more specifically over the last seven years, because that's where I've managed to, because I've been working with clients, I've seen other people's where they're having difficulty. And that's just brilliant because that's given me, okay, so if I had that yeah. problem, how would I deal with that problem? And that's seven years of that, those kind of questions almost every day has kind of developed a system, a process that can really help everybody. And that's what I want to get through in the book, which is why I'm really excited about it. Well, definitely mm -hmm. sign me up for a pre-order on that one. <laughs> I'm in on that. <laughs> well, I appreciate this, Carl. Thank you so You're much welcome. for being on the show. And uh, if, you know, just as a final note, if you'd like to share with the audience, where can we, we most contribute to you or where can we find you uh, the, the easiest best place on to find social me is just go to carlpauline.com or all my socials is carl underbar pauline and you'll find me there just search me my name now you can find it I, it's nice to be able to say that because like five years ago i had to actually really spell it out but now you know it's whenever you do a google search you can you just type in my name you'll find me somewhere <laughs> Yeah, before the show or, or even last week when I was prepping and everything, when we first talked and I typed in, you're yeah. everywhere. <laughs> and I love that. And I'm so happy for you that, you you know, because, you know, from following you, when you, you really started pushing on this, you know, like I said, I, I've been a fan of yours for quite some time. So I'm so excited to see your career mm -hmm. just taking off to new heights. I couldn't be happier for nice. you, man. Congratulations. Oh, it's it's. You know, one of the things I'd actually developed a mini course, a free mini course on my platform for this, because I realized, I think this was about, oh, it's probably about four years ago now. I realized there's actually, there is a secret formula and that is patience, action, consistency, and time. You need to be patient because it doesn't happen overnight, despite what you might see on, some people mm -hmm. might get it, but you usually already have a name for yourself in order to get massive on, on the platforms. You need to take action because if you don't take action, nothing's ever going to happen. That action needs to be consistent because, you know, if you just, put, I, I noticed some people put five blog posts up there and say, I'm a blogger. Well, yeah, but, you know, Seth Godin's <laughs> been writing a blog post every day since 2002. 
uh, he's a blogger. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's a blog. Um, <laughs> and you know, you've you've got to be, you've got to give it time. So that patience and time comes in, but it doesn't happen overnight. Funnily enough, I figured out that actually you need four years if you to get to a level of success. Four years. That's interesting. If you look at all the the top YouTubers, um, they didn't start becoming really really big until their third or fourth year. Um, I didn't. It didn't happen for me until my fourth year. Um, and even the blog didn't happen until really the fourth year. It was growing all the time, but it's always the fourth year. The third or fourth year is roughly when things start to really escalate. And do you think that the the pandemic had anything to do with that, where people were forced to be home and consume content more, or do you think that's just a natural bar a, of progression? There was a blip there, but actually, when I look at my numbers, because I got a little bit worried because twenty twenty was a good year, but then I think, hang on a minute, if you look at two thousand and nineteen, it didn't go. My graph did not suddenly go like that. It just continued growing at the normal rate. So I thought steadily, yeah, and it's okay. still growing today in the same rate. There hasn't been a drop off now that the pandemic kind is over. Um, I think some businesses, of course, did benefit, but they've, they're kind of falling away now. Peloton is probably a good example. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people aren't talking about Zoom. But actually, for Zoom, it's, it's become like a staple. So, you know, they did well out of it. And they're one of those rare ones that have benefited from the pandemic and managed to keep going. Um, but Yeah, that was funny. I mean, Zoom wasn't nobody anything, ever heard of it. And then the until, pandemic oh, everyone's hit. using Zoom it, now. Yeah. <laughs> They they must have been sitting in the boardroom going, yeah. whoa! <laughs> I know, I know, yeah, I know. But you know, if you look, if you just look at the statistics, it roughly takes people from the day they start to when they say, "Okay, I've got something here," like it's earning a good income. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to take you three to four years. And if you work Perfect. on that principle, Perfect. if you and make it the- lucky and you can do it in eighteen months, and that's a big bonus. But the good thing is, this is what I mean yeah. about pact: is patience, action, consistency, and time. If you start knowing that it's going to take you four years to get you to a certain level, you're more likely to be consistent and stick with it. Because if you think four mm-hmm. years, that's too long, well, don't even try because you're going to give up. So if you yeah. just accept that's it's going exactly to take right. me four years to get me to this, it's, you know, it'll get you there because you know now you're going to have to be patient. I'm really glad you shared your statistics too, because that's the biggest question I get when people start to, you know, ironically enough, over the pandemic, my CEO and founder blueprint has been the most popular course that people have come to, you know, and I'm a career coach. So I was teaching people how to excel at their jobs, but everybody's like, no, I want to start a business on my own. So I had to put a course Mm -hmm. together of, okay, well, this is what it is. But the biggest uh, question that I get is, well, the pandemic was different. I can't create an online. So I'm really glad you shared your statistics of, you know, it was a little bit of an increase, but it's been steady. The pandemic is not necessarily an excuse to not no, get started. It wasn't. You should just it, start. It's, changed, it's yeah. changed the landscape, but it's made it better for creators. Because yeah. we got, I mean, for yeah. anyone who's creating, even people who are creating like entertainment, like Mr. Beast or something, like more entertainment videos, you know, those guys obviously mm-hmm. benefited. But the great thing is, is that it changed the landscape because it also showed Wow, you mentioned it, the University of YouTube, but it also said, well, I can take a 20-minute online course or an hour online course, and suddenly I've got a new skill that I can work on and get better at, which might turn into a business. Like I mentioned, I've wanted to increase 
you know, now I'm going up for the next level of 1 million YouTube subscribers. That means I have to improve my video editing. Now I have a choice. I can teach myself. I have the basic skills, so I know I can learn that to a higher degree. Or I can delegate it and ask somebody to do my video editing if I want to spend more time on something else. But I have those options now, which, you know, 15 years ago, I didn't have those options. I didn't even know what Premiere Pro was. Um, but yeah, so those options are open up to me now and I can take that. Nah, well, yeah, it's nice to video edit, but yeah, um, I think I'll get somebody else who, who's uh, already further down the road. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. The options, the, there's so many more options now to be able to create anything you want. And that's what I tell people that, you know, they've just recently been laid off. If you look at the tech industry since I think January of 23, 200,000 plus um, layoffs. And while you're searching for a job, you could be building something of you your could, own. You could I learn mean, you're Bulgarian. Not, you're not, most people... <laughs> you can learn Bulga learn learn Bulgarian, Bulgarian people. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. It's like you're not spending eight hours every day replacing your job with finding another job. Nobody can do that. You're going to drive yourself you mad doing yeah. that. So if you can spend and break it up two hours of working on something of mm -hmm. your own, two hours of targeted job search, not necessarily the old days of walking into someone and saying, hey, can you hand this resume to your HR director? Those days are long yeah. gone. Now it's now you have to follow it up with a LinkedIn connection and reaching out to that manager and say, hey, you know, I noticed we have this in common and a thoughtful mm -hmm. approach. But to the people that are listening, while you're doing that, build something of your, your own. Get your name out there because it increases the value when you apply for that position and they have a specific budget in mind and you say, okay, well, I want to go and build, you know, get a job and build it on the side, you're increasing the value of what your salary is going to be because that's social mm -hmm. proof. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're trained to do is to build that proof and value of what your skills mm -hmm. are. So as Carl says, you know, just start doing it and keep that in your mind that it's going to take some time, but I love that mm -hmm. pact. I really, really love it. By the that. way, you just reminded so me of that, a story you know. of when I was teaching English. <laughs> I wanted to reach out to Standard Chartered Bank here in the UK to work with them because it's a, a well-established bank in Korea and it's a British-owned bank. And I'm from the UK. And I thought, hmm, who's the CEO of Standard Chartered Korea? Turns out it was a British guy. I thought, oh, ha, 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 ha. I know how to... <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I know how to get <laughs> my resume, my proposal on his desk. And so I actually printed out a letter. I signed it with fountain pen, blue black ink, signed it with fountain pen. I actually said, wrote, hand wrote, dear Miss, I think I remember his name now, but dear Mr. Smith say, and then signed yours since it all in fountain pen. So it was all done in a very, very traditional English style. Put my all my proposal stuff into a, into a brown envelope. And then I hand wrote the address, his name, address, and I put private and confidential on the envelope. Now, I know in Korea they do not use that. And I wrote it in English, not Korean. And so I know when that came in, it said private, because his secretary will, of course, speak English because she doesn't speak Korean. So I mm -hmm. knew that then my envelope would end up on his desk, unopened for him so it's not filtered sometimes you're going to play play the system it. but it's like this is where the research comes <laughs> in you think oh yeah i can play with that and work with it i mean we did work with standard chartered for a few months as well so i did get some work from that 
Um, I love it. The differences is, you know, what the, the call outs. There was a guy back in 2008 that was sending around his resume on a chocolate Absolutely bar. Absolutely brilliant. And I was like, oh my, so, I mean, who, who is not going to look at a chocolate bar and go, wow, we got to call this guy. Mm. That's really ingenious. Yeah. And <laughs> taking those non traditional routes, or conversely, the things that you just mentioned, like sending a handwritten letter and you take those same things that were widely used 20, 30 years ago, do those things now. Now they're not exactly. the norm. You know, that so, was the reason why I came up it, with that idea because I thought <laughs> it all came about because when my students, you know, students who sent me a text message saying, thank you, teacher, for teaching me the last month, you know, I don't have those messages anywhere. But when we moved house, I was emptying out my kind of store cupboard and I found a box and in there was all these handwritten letters from students from like 10 years ago. I thought we keep them. We don't keep the digital stuff, but we keep the paper stuff now because right. it's so unique and it's special. And I still have them. They're in a box in the storeroom still, but you know, it's just not, wow. I, love I thought there's a little trick. If you want to get into the CEO's office, you're not going to get there by email or calling them. But sometimes maybe a handwritten letter. Um, and that actually was reminded of that when I was watching a video on Rolls Royce cars. If, if you're ever lucky enough to be able to buy a Rolls Royce car, um, you will, and it's brand new, you will get. Not you know, in my lifetime. <laughs> but you will get a typed letter. It's typed, but hand, handwritten and signed by the Rolls Royce cars CEO. They sell 6,000 wow. cars a year. And he was interviewed about it. And he says, but this is what makes us special. And I went, that's right, because no other car company does that. Yeah. There's, even Ferrari, who sell a lot less cars than Rolls Royce, never send you a handwritten letter. Um, and yeah. also that their salespeople all wear white gloves when they're showing you around the car. I mean, I'm just thinking, oh, that's, that just blew me that away. That was cool, That just wasn't blew it? me away. I thought, yeah. <laughs> that's because Bentley, who is probably their competitor, they don't do that. There's a distinct, oh, mm -mm. big mistake. I remember going to a showroom for Rolls Royce and they had the white gloves mm -hmm. on and I was like, wow, look yeah. at this. Yeah. You, you know, you just felt yeah. like you were the top 1%. Yeah. And how much, <laughs> just how much being does in a there. pair of white gloves cost? It's nothing. Yeah, yeah, $3 it's nothing. maybe. So yeah. I just thought, this is genius. <laughs> but that handwritten letter, yeah. I think, because I was looking at it from a time management perspective. How, I mean, 6,000 letters divided by 365 days. That's still, probably, I think I worked it out, like 20, 30 letters a day that this guy has to handwrite and sign. That's nothing. But he does it every day. Yeah. And I just thought, that's commitment, but it's also why Rolls-Royce has such a fantastic reputation. And coincidentally, remember back into, you, you know, back, um, we're going back now, but remember when you first started the car business, uh, I don't know if they taught the same to you, but when we first started, they always told us to sell to your immediate friends and family mm -hmm. first, because if you can be comfortable pitching to mm -hmm. them, you can be comfortable pitching to anybody. And for the people that are job seeking, same thing, or even building your own business, start pitching and telling your family what you're doing first, because that's the biggest fear. What if my family doesn't approve? But if you can get comfortable and confident pitching to the people that are closest to you, you can pitch it to the masses. You know, and that, I remember learning that the first day of car sales is they were saying, tell everybody in your family what you do and, you know, let them know that you're selling cars now and see if, you know, somebody yeah. will buy a car. And I remember thinking to myself, 
I'm not going to tell my mom and dad that I'm selling cars. There's yeah. no way. But that was so true because 20 years down the road, it's like, wow, that means yeah. a lot. Because you to overcome do that. the fear. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or staring, you know, before an interview, staring at yourself in a mirror and answering, answering the yeah. questions. I mean, the first couple of times I did that, I was beat yeah. red. I was a nervous wreck, sweating and everything. But once I got used to it, it was nice and easy, you know? And I think that's the takeaway that a lot of people need to do is to get confident with yourself and comfortable with yeah. yourself and you can take on okay. the world. Absolutely. Well, Carl, thank welcome. you so much for, for doing this. Um, I know it's late there, so I want to get you off to bed to brush your teeth so you can set up and go into oh, we're Monday morning. I just need to brush my teeth Usually. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Usually I would have an outro, but you know, again, being such a mm. fanboy, I was wondering if you could you could do the outro for us the way you do in uh in your YouTube videos. All that oh, remains right. for yes, me yes, now. Yes, well, I thank love you. that. Thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> all that remains for me now is to wish you all a very, very productive week. I feel like I'm twelve <laughs> years old. <laughs> thank you everybody. We'll see you again. And Carl, thank you so much. Really appreciated this and uh continued success you. for you.